It's Muppeturgy with a very, we'll go with special, special episode about the Teresa Brewer episode of The Muppet Show with our own very special guest star, Joe Hennis. Yay! Hi, everyone. Welcome back. We're so glad you're here. We hope you're still glad at the end of this episode. We'll see. I'm David Levy. Here today with me are... Michal Richardson. Christy Bauer. Adam Grossworth. And our aforementioned special guest star, Joe Hennis. Hey, Joe. Hey, everybody. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. I'm going to read your bio now. Go for it. Go nuts. Joe Hennis has been co-owner and editor-in-chief of the Muppet fan site ToughPigs.com for over 15 years, authored 2,800 articles, hosted a whole bunch of podcasts, and has interviewed legends like Frank Oz, Carol Spinney, Paul Williams, and Gonger. He co-wrote the viral hit Big Bird Man, and one time had a Muppet sit on his shoulder in an episode of Sesame Street. His favorite Muppet of the day is Behemoth. Good choice. Joe, tell us about your history with the Muppets. Uh, obviously, I have no history with the Muppets. That's that, that's <laughs> it. I just I just walked off the street onto this podcast. No, my the real my real history with the Muppets is uh, probably like all of you and most people listening that I just really like Muppets and I liked Muppets when I was a kid and it never went away. And uh, now for the last decade and a half, I've been running toughpigs.com uh, with my buddy Ryan Rowe, who has been on this podcast before. And now my other buddy, Jared Fairclough, who I don't think you've had on your podcast yet. Not yet, but Correct hopefully in the future. Not yet. Stay tuned, everybody. All right. And uh, yeah, we just like have a lot of fun on Tough Pigs and we do stupid stuff on social media and on our podcasts and on the website and we do a lot of like art and commentary and news and all that fun stuff. And sometimes we get to like talk to real Muppet people, which is also pretty neat. And uh, I don't know, we've been doing this for a long time. It's very much a part of me. And I like the fact that it gives me a reason to think about the Muppets more because I think about the Muppets all the time, literally nonstop. Right now you're sort of between podcasts because the podcast feed where your podcast is hosted cycles through different Tough Pigs podcasts. And there was just a special bonus episode uh, looking at the Muppets at Walt Disney World. But are we looking at another season of Moving Right Along soon? Or is there something else coming up? What's... Yeah. Oh, so Moving Right Along is we actually... Sorry. Yeah, um... no, it's okay. So, so Tough Pigs, it's okay. It's all in the Tough Pigs family. It's in the Tough Pigs umbrella. Like, it's it's fine. So that we actually have two podcast channels. Uh, our main one is Moving Right Along, as you mentioned. That's Ryan Rowe and Anthony Strand, who are going through the Muppet movies two minutes at a time and talking about them a lot. Some of you folks uh, have been on that podcast as well. And that one, um, they're currently, as you mentioned, they've, they've finished up Muppet Stick Manhattan. They've been doing uh, standalone specials leading up to Muppet Family Christmas. They 100% are going to be doing Muppet Family Christmas. They just haven't started it yet because... No, they did Muppet um, Family Christmas. As, they're going to be doing Muppet Christmas Carol. Sorry, I meant to say Muppet Christmas Carol. Thank you. See, this is what happens when there's too many Muppets in my brain. No, I don't. We're going to leave okay. all of our mistakes in. We're going to own up to it. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, but uh, I was going to say, David, you you probably know better than anyone how difficult it is to keep a regular podcast going. So they're they're taking an extended break between Muppet Sick Manhattan and Muppet Christmas Carol. Ah, see, I got it right that time. On our other podcast channel, which you can find by searching for Muppet Fan Podcast with ToughPigs.com, that one we've been cycling through different seasons of different topics of podcasts. So rather than ask you to uh, subscribe to a dozen different podcasts, you know, we can do a season of a podcast where we're reviewing every episode of the 2015 Muppet series. And then another podcast where Jared and I are taking turns surprising each other with celebrity guests. Uh, and we just finished a season of Hubba Wah, 
uh, which is a Muppet themed game show, which is super, super fun. That one is also on hiatus. So we have a, a little bit of space for both of our podcast channels at the moment, but I am currently in production for what will be the next podcast season on that channel, which I am not quite ready to reveal yet, but I will say it's a really big deal. It's really cool, and I get to talk to some really fun people. I think y'all are going to like it very, very much. Um, and it is not a Muppet Show rewatch like your podcast. So we're not stepping <laughs> on your toes. Well, I can't wait to hear it. I, I really love to introduce our guest star, which is the one that Joe just spoke about, where he and Jared surprise each other with Muppet guest stars that they then interview. It's just they have really like top tier guests, but also just have really fun and fascinating conversations. So if you're listening to us and you haven't checked that out, I highly recommend it along with everything else that Tough Picks does. Yeah, that one I, w- I want to say also about to introduce our guest star. First of all, they're super fun just because, you know, as you all do for this podcast, you do so much prep work to talk about every detail of these episodes. But the the way that that, that show is produced that we can't do any prep work. Like one of us is always going to be completely surprised. And that's what makes such an interesting and unique conversation. Cause we can't say like, okay, let's talk about your life from, from the beginning to the end because we're just winging it. And yeah, th- those interviews come out really well. And, and the cool thing is because uh, and the cool thing and the difficult thing is because Jared is located in Melbourne, Australia. I'm here in New York city. Uh, our guests could be anywhere in the world it becomes really difficult to schedule those interviews. So we've actually been in production for that one since last fall and very, very slowly recording an episode at a time because that's what our availability is. And also we technically have to take turns uh, in bringing in guests and the whole thing gets complicated and life gets in the way. So that one, it's a hundred percent coming a second season of uh, to introduce our guest star. Don't know when, but uh, we are absolutely working on it. I think we're maybe four or five episodes in. We've already got some great guests. I can't tell you who any of them are because it's got to be a big surprise. But uh, yeah, I think if you if you like hearing people talk about Muppets, that's a, that's a pretty good one. I agree. I have a feeling that we have perhaps misunderstood the question. So I'm slightly embarrassed because uh, we were in such a hurry to talk about the Muppets rendering of Buffalo Springfield's For What It's Worth in the Bob Hope episode that I never mentioned who wrote it. It was written by Stephen Stills, a member of Buffalo Springfield, later of Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. As long as it's come up again naturally anyway, I feel like I should say that I love that sketch. And it's one of my deeply formative Muppet numbers. Uh, I got so invested in ragging on the updated lyrics, which I do not regret, uh, that I feel like that fact got lost. But, you know, bunnies, possums, love it deeply. So this is season two, episode 22. Production, according to Muppet Wiki, was uh, the week of July 12th, 1977. I'm deeply confused. We talked about this last week, how the production dates for these last few episodes don't make any sense. Um, There is also a post on Jim Henson's Red Book, the website, which is from Jim Henson's uh, journal with that date and a letter, basically a thank you note to the Muppets from Teresa Brewer dated in early August. So this date does seem correct. I don't understand how that makes any sense with the episode number being this late in the season. Joe, do you, do you know how this worked? Sure. Don't great. So listeners, I'm just (laughs) curious. It doesn't matter at all. Truly. It was 45 years ago, but you know, I'm just curious because I'm a nerd and I like, process stuff so um if anyone knows it doesn't matter it doesn't matter i'm just curious about how this worked because i'm a dork 
it's fine. Anyway, what does matter is that it aired on November 21st, 1977 in New York. It was the 10th episode to air in between Milton Berle and Don Knotts. In the news, in the New York Times, the entire front page is Israel and Egypt's peace talks, uh, which I'm only bothering to mention in light of our recent discussion of the stars salute Israel at 30 just two weeks ago. What if Egypt only agreed to peace talks because of the stars saluting Israel? Well, remember, we're out of order. So they were so moved by Barbara Streisand's performance of Tomorrow. (laughs) They said, we too believe the sun can come out tomorrow. Yeah. Um, remember, we're out of order. So I believe the stars actually will not salute Israel for several more months. But just, mm. but it's not like that wasn't weird at the time. There was a lot going on. There is a full page ad for Gimbel's department store, which was a tie into Saturday Night Fever. I'm not going to get into it, but please, please, please check out the show notes. It is spectacular. On television tonight, on the six o'clock news on Channel 7, the ABC affiliate, a three part series called Women. Getting Down to Business, reported by Joan London, an amazingly 70s photo, which is apropos for tonight's very sexist episode of The Muppet Show. Following The Muppet Show on NBC, Little House on the Prairie has something to do with boxing, so the advertisers decided to pair it with an ad for the Columbo episode that followed it that reads, Peter Falk versus Ruth Gordon. Sure, why not? My money's on Ruth Gordon. Obviously. (laughs) And on CBS, where our friend The Muppets aired, a Charlie Brown Thanksgiving, which we talked about last season, but I was drawn to the ad for the absolutely wild font choice. Also, it is described as a fun feast with delightful peanut flavor, which A, feels like a typo, because peanuts. And I recently read somewhere, probably Twitter, that the name Peanuts was chosen by the publisher and Charles Schultz actually always hated it, which just makes that whole thing extra weird. Then we have the Lucille Ball special, um, just the Lucille Ball special. And here we go, much like Israel, the stars salute America's greatest movies, as opposed to Israel. This is actually the American Film Institute's 10th anniversary gala, which makes more sense to me. All these ads, as with the ads from last week and the week before, are in the show notes at mumpaturgy.com. I don't think I mentioned that last time. Uh, You should check them out. They're kind of amazing. I'm a little obsessed. I want posters. To introduce our guest star, that's what I'm here to do. So it really makes me happy to introduce to you. Teresa Brewer was a pop singer of the 1950s. Unlike many of our guest stars, there's not a ton to share about her life. She was born in Ohio in 1931. Like many of our guest stars, she began performing as a child, first locally, eventually appearing on Major Bows, which was like the star search of its day when she was six or seven, according to an interview she gave. In 1949, when she was 18, she got herself an agent and soon had her first single, uh, a jazz standard called Copenhagen, which she recorded with a band called the Dixieland All-Stars. The B-side to that single was a song called Music, 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 which became an unexpected hit, selling more than a million copies. And that's the song that she sings in this episode of The Muppet Show, which you might know as Put Another Nickel in the Nickelodeon. That same year, she married Bill Monahan, who would be her husband for 23 years and with whom she would have four daughters. Teresa rang in the 50s with the novelty song Chewing Gum, which also hit the top 20. And she was off and running with a recording career that spanned pop, jazz, country, and novelty songs. I'm going to need you to spell Chewing Gum for our listeners. Chewing Gum. C-H-O-O apostrophe N gum. Thank you. 
Uh, we'll put that one in the show notes for you. She was one of those white artists who benefited from record companies' racism. She was one of the people they called upon to record cover versions of hot songs from black artists because otherwise racists wouldn't buy them. So that actually is uh, like the bulk of her hits are in that sort of subgenre. She had 28 songs on the Hot 100 in her career. Her biggest was 1958's Till I Waltz Again With You, which I'll also drop in the show notes. If you are familiar with sort of ballads of the 50s, this one might ring a bell, even if the name doesn't. She had hits with a number of songs we've heard on other episodes of The Muppet Show, including Mutual Admiration Society, which you might remember from the Ethel Merman episode, and Twiddly D, which you might remember from the J.P. Morgan episode. She made one movie, the 1953 musical Those Redheads from Seattle, and she made occasional appearances on television variety shows, but she was primarily a singer. In the early 70s, her marriage to Bill Monaghan ended, and Teresa married jazz producer Bob Thiel. This led to a new phase in her career as more of a jazz artist, recording on her husband's label, Red Baron Records. When he died in 1996, Brewer retired from recording. She herself died in 2007 at the age of 76. Does anyone here have any previous associations with Teresa Brewer? My only association is with her absolute banger of a song music 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 which she does in this episode but beyond that uh this was my first time actually seeing her in action so i was at least excited to see her doing things i looked her up on imdb and i saw that she uh did a song that appeared in the movie porkies and uh i am ashamed to admit that in high school i watched porkies a lot (laughs) sorry mom on that note (laughs) Joe, what are your overall impressions of this episode? <laughs> I mean, before I talk about Teresa Brewer, I, I want to say I when we all talked before, uh, when you were trying to schedule me, I originally wanted to appear on your Petula Clark episode, and uh, we couldn't make it work scheduling-wise, so we figured, like, oh, I'll just do the next one, which was Teresa Brewer. And I thought, like, oh, no big deal. I, I like all of the Muppet Show episodes. I could talk about any of them. And then I revisited this episode, and I'm like, oh, this is garbage. <laughs> and not because it's like uh, it's so like offensive to my eyes because like i I can't sit through the rich little episode i find the liberace episode hard to watch um but this one is like the good parts are so middling it becomes forgetful and then as we will talk i'm sure at length very shortly um the other parts are just like hugely problematic so this one is uh it's a big old skip on the Disney Plus rewatch list for me. Michal? <sighs> this is why we can't have nice things. This episode is why we can't have nice things. Uh, Teresa Brewer seems delightful. She's having a terrific time. And when I searched my podcast app for something that I could listen to about her, they were all Muppet Show podcasts. So it's a shame that she has to be remembered for this episode of The Muppet Show. <sighs> I'm going to choose to remember this as an episode uh, where Teresa Brewer is freaking adorable. Uh, Animal is horny. Men get punched, kicked, uh, electrocuted, shoved into cakes, knocked over by giant monster hands. And that's what happens in this episode. I'm going to try to forget the rest. I'm very angry. David. Hermit the Frog should be put on trial for crimes against humanity for what he does in this episode. Christy. Well, it's happened, friends. We found an episode of The Muppet Show that makes me want to go out and set cars on fire. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) I had to drag myself to watch this a second time. And you know what? 
I'm glad that I finally did because there, there is, as Mahal has mentioned, Teresa Brewer, adorable. There's good stuff hidden in it, but wow, a good two thirds of this is straight up bullshit. So yeah, I'm looking forward to tearing this apart, thoughtfully, but yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I I hate it the least, which is always a weird a weird thing for me. Um, I yeah. Um, I when we get there, I'm I I'm gonna mount a weak defense of of the things that make us angry. It's a weak defense. It makes me angry too. But for for most of all, for me, even with even with the anger, it's part of this run of middling episodes that we've had the last few weeks. It's I think it's mostly fine. The anger aside, you know, the spoiler for next week coming up was one of my all time favorite episodes. At least I think it is. We've we've seen that our, our memories are sometimes faulty as we do this, and I haven't watched ahead. But sort of like knowing that's coming and having the last few weeks all been sort of fine. Made this. I love that your memory of John Cleese might be faulty. Ah, <laughs> uh, oh, I get, I get it. Yeah, it's it's not it's not great. Um, I'm not as mad as everybody else is, but it's not great. Teresa Brewer, thirteen seconds to curtain, Miss Brewer. Everything all right? Actually, I could use a hand. You want a hand? You got it. <laughs> so she could use a hand, and she gets one. It is a giant furry blue monster hand that's bigger than she is it's pretty cute yeah and and, and then she shoves scooter and it's the cutest thing it's like a, it's like <laughs> an ou kind of yeah. thing but an ou shove in a way that knocks you over i like on the on the muppet wiki they have an entry for blue hand which says if meant to have been a full character the owner of the hand could very well have been the largest muppet ever so think about that one <laughs> folks all right body science. attached to that giant hand no development in the yay evolution in Kermit's introduction, but Statler and Waldorf have a little seating problem. Statler's seat is taken by the blue frackle. Can I see your ticket stub? Gonzo's trumpet shoots flames, which feels like a recycled bit because we've seen similar things from the trumpet, but I don't think we've seen this yet. Shall we talk about the backstage plot? Are we ready? Oh my God. Let's do it. Uh, Rip the band-aid. Yeah, Muppet Joe backstage. The big development this episode is Kermit has decided that Miss Piggy needs to lose some weight. That's it. That's the joke. That's the source for all of the jokes in this episode. It carries into the musical numbers. It carries into at the dance. Thanks. I hate it. <laughs> I'm going to give a content warning because we're going to play clips where there's weight shaming and fat jokes and Kermit critiquing Piggy's weight and her eating choices and being rather mean spirited about it. And if Kermit being a dick about Piggy's weight is not for you, you might want to skip ahead for a few minutes and hear us yell about diet culture in a few minutes after the clips or wait another few minutes and hear some music, which may or may not be offensive too. We'll find out. (sighs) Okay, everybody take a deep breath. Here are Kermit and Scooter talking about why Piggy's ballet number for next week needs to be cut. This is a longer clip than we usually play, so if you want to skip it, skip ahead about a minute. Uh, but we, I just clipped the whole scene, because how, how to choose. Uh, have you seen Miss Piggy recently? I mean, she's getting a little bulgy. You know, the pork no longer fits in the barrel. Mm, yeah, her wiggles are beginning to waddle a little. <laughs> yeah, that's the way the old pork rolls. Kermit? Hi, Miss Piggy. Um, oh, 
I have a wonderful announcement to make. Hmm? I know it sounds silly, but I am going on a diet. A diet? What a wonderful idea. Yes. Uh, How much weight do you plan to lose? Oh, I I don't know. Maybe five. Uh, hmm? Ten. Ten. Fifteen. Do I hear twenty? Twenty pounds. For my uh, new ballet number. You think she overheard? Why are men? (laughs) And why is Kermit one of those men? I mean, yeah. Does it? Yeah. She's a pig! Sorry. (laughs) This is how her body works. This is what her body wants to be. Don't tell her whether to eat some fucking cake. Sweet Jesus. But, like, here's the, here's, like, I'm trying to think of, like, okay, you're Kermit the Frog. You're producing this show, this stage show that nobody likes or comes to see. And you're, I get it. You're trying to do the best job you can. Like, what is your motivation for being like, well, hey, look, our, our lady pig star like it has to lose a few pounds. Like that doesn't help the show get better. You're not like, like it's fine. Just like put your pig on stage and do a show. Cause you just have to get something out there right to week. Meanwhile, he's casting acts that have like, I don't know, singing vegetables and monsters and like all these crazy species that are like different shapes and sizes all the time. So why not a pig that isn't stick thin? Like there's no reason behind it. Like, it doesn't make the Muppet show within a show better. It doesn't even make sense within the specific world and continuity of this show, because in the Rudolph Nureyev episode, that pig is, like, bigger than Piggy by an order of magnitude. Right. And a beautiful dancer. Yeah. Incredibly skilled. So the whole argument does not hold water. Or swill. I... Yeah, I so to uh, yeah, <laughs> like I'm trying to choose my words very carefully because I I I I'm gonna like sort of defend this, but also like I do I hate it for for one thing that I just find super weird about the performance, like at least twice now, right? We've seen specifically Kermit and Scooter do a thing where they're having a conversation that is scripted that is meant to be overheard by Piggy because they're manipulating her. And it sort of sounds like that's what they're doing here, but that's not what they're doing here. Like, that's not the story. And I don't understand, like, were Henson and, and, and Hunt also just, like, not into this script, and so they couldn't play it? Like, it's so weird on every conceivable level. Because even their delivery is like, this sucks, <laughs> right? Though I also don't want a Kermit who's committed to this dialogue, because <laughs> that would be even worse. Yeah, I think you might be looking for that. It doesn't feel to me like they're playing it. Uh, maybe. Ironically, or... No, it just feels like bad acting. And I don't think that these are bad actors, I guess is what I'm saying. Like, I don't know. Also, the laugh track is very aggressive. It is, yeah. That doesn't help. The, I mean, and the other thing is, you know, I don't think this is entirely unrealistic behavior for a show business executive or a man, any man, certainly then, but also now. I'm not sure that we're not supposed to hate it, right? Like, I don't think that Kermit is a good guy here, and and I don't think we're supposed to think that he is. But it's weird, and it's weird because it's Kermit, especially 2022 Kermit. And, like, I, I don't know how an audience in 78 would have perceived this, but, like, it's still Kermit. Like, 
he's still the star of the show and he would have been around for a while. Like, why would you have your lead character do this and not like JP grow? If you're, if you're going to do it at all, which I don't think they should have, like, why not have it be someone like JP gross or link like, or a character who, who can be awful. If I'm even right about this, which I might not be that what they're trying to do is like have some sort of critique or satire. I think what they're trying to do and you'll forgive the expression is have their cake and eat it too, where they both want to in some ways critique diet culture, but also haha, piggy is fat. And right. it's, you can't really do that. Like you just, you don't, you don't win. Uh, and, and it's really, I think you're right that having Kermit be the main mouthpiece makes it even harder, but even, you know, we've seen this in pigs in space before. We'll see it in pigs in space in this episode. Like even when link does it, it still doesn't, feel great well no of course not uh, even I think when you right. know he's the buffoon even when you know that the show is more or less on piggy's side and the show is always at best more or less on piggy's side because piggy is a multi-dimensional character and you can never fully love her because she also is cruel to people and selfish and uh, you know i think part of what makes these characters great is that they aren't all just you know happy, fun, lovey-dovey kids characters. They, they're they multidimensional, but I just think that they aim for something here and miss the mark. I have a question that I I should know the answer to, but I don't. Were there any women in the writer's room? No. I don't no. think so. No, there weren't. Yeah. Uh, unsurprisingly, from what we're seeing here. Yeah. Yeah, I think just building the puppets and sometimes performing, but even that, barely. There's barely any women like on set, like on I mean, set, right? Right. Like, yeah. There's a stage manager with the amazing name of Carol Crookshank, which is the only reason I know that even because it <laughs> sticks out in the credits. Um, and, Sometimes there's a choreographer. Yeah. And, and there's Louise Gold, who isn't even in the credits yet, even though she is a regular performer now and will be in the credits in season three. But like, even still, like she wasn't comfortable speaking up against something like oh, that for sure. Like, not, oh no right. doubt. Yeah. And no, she's no way. about that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. I don't think they're attempting any kind of critique of diet culture. I think that they are, you know, representing that Piggy is in this situation and that she's trying her best to get out of it. And they're showing this dilemma that she has of like, she goes to Teresa Brewer's dressing room and there's a giant cake there. And she just promised Kermit that she'd be on a diet. Like she, she is having this struggle. And I think that they, they are trying to show that in a believable way to whatever extent this is believable. And there's a pig on a diet, but also, it's it's just so cruel. They're playing it for laughs. I don't think that this is meant to be like the diet industry, the fitness industry. They're trying to make you do things that are unreasonable. They're still blaming Piggy for putting herself somehow in this situation and making all of her eating a moral choice. And I'm going to stop being able to talk about it because I'm still so mad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I I can see that too. I I. I still think they're they're trying something satirical, and we'll we'll get we'll, we'll let let's move on, and and yeah. and I I think I I have better examples of of what they're trying to do, but I think and this isn't even, I mean part of this is I mean the, I don't think the words diet the phrase diet culture existed in seventy seven, but I also this isn't about it being dated. This is about them literally not being equipped to do it, but both based on who's telling the story, as we just said, but also like they have twenty two minutes. It is. You know, yeah, it was for adults, but like, you know, a lot of kids are watching the show and they know it. 
they don't have time. They don't have space. They don't have nuance. Like it's not possible. If if I'm even right, and I might not be, and I acknowledge that 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 this is what they're trying to do. Like they can't. They just literally cannot pull it off. I mean that, like along with most other Muppet Show plots, like with the actual storylines, like there is no arc. There's no. There's not even like a conclusion to this. It's just like a thing that Piggy tries for a while, and then the episode ends. So there's not even time. If there's not time for that, there's not time to do a proper satire or commentary or whatever you want to call it about this subject, which I, I would assume it's like they were commenting on it at the time because diet culture is a thing. And now we would comment, comment on it because diet culture is something that is potentially toxic. Yeah. Before we move on, here's the thing that makes me mad. It's that it ultimately has nothing to do with the specific content of this episode and more that this isn't a thing that gets a content warning the, mm. you know, like mm-hmm. nobody thought to <laughs> put any sort of warning on this. Yeah. And that, and that's more society now. Like this, this is, you know, still something that is ever present in our culture, but yeah. Yeah. Story I mean, and matter, right. Right. <laughs> right. I mean the, the chicken, the chicken sheriff smokes a cigarette. It gets a, it gets a content warning, but yeah. Yeah. Nobody thought twice about Peter Sellers coming on the show and doing his shtick with the accents and the brown face makeup. Cause that was just what was done. It was funny. I don't think that anybody at the time questioned whether this was funny. It didn't, I don't think anybody was thinking twice about like making fat jokes about Miss Piggy and being cruel to her was, I don't think anybody found it problematic. I think it's just what was done. Yep. I agree. Definitely. <sighs> so, <laughs> for an episode where they only have a few minutes and, you know, don't have time to build an arc, they really do manage to cram in a lot of Piggy putting in a lot of effort for this newfound diet mission. We see her exercising and chasing a cheesecake around and also coming to the dressing room seeking advice from Teresa Brewer, who is about to have an extravagant, very whipped cream forward lunch. You know, it's such a relief to meet someone who isn't on a diet. They're such bores. You know, all they ever talk about is calories and exercise and lettuce leaves. Let's eat. Now you're talking. Uh, Piggy, uh, you're you're supposed to be on a diet. Uh, uh, You weren't thinking of doing anything with that uh, cake there, were you, fat stuff? My notes when she smashes him into the cake say, yeah, smash him again. And and this is throw me to another cake. This is part of my point. I think you're supposed to, right? I think you're and Teresa Brewer is delighted, right? Uh, Again, it's not good. I think the problem is that they have blame to go around. Like they think that 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 all this diet stuff is ridiculous, but they don't blame like the culture or the creators of these diets. They blame the women who are like falling victim right, of it right. or doing it. And that that's that's where it actually feels like the grossest. Right. I mean that's the part that feels very 70s to me, the whole like the that's the little lettuce leaves and the, you know, whatever. Yeah. Like, oh, and people then- on diets are so boring. Like, well, it's not their fault. <laughs> right. Well, also it's hypocritical because Teresa Brewer starts out by getting defensive and saying, 
why do you think I know anything about being fat? Like, of 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 all the sour notes of this arc, that actually was the grossest thing to yeah, me. Which yeah, which then makes makes Picky embarrassed, right? Then then Picky's yeah. like, oh no, I I that's you know I just want to talk to you about about being thin, right? Like it's, it's yeah, really I thought you weird. might have advice for my fat friend from one of your fat friends, not not about a yeah. Ugh. Although Kirby just saying like. What are you eating? Fat stuff is maybe like the lowest note the we've worst. ever seen yeah. from Kermit. <laughs> like, it's really bad. I mean, it's all pretty distressing, <laughs> and the way that you think that there's about to be some woman to woman solidarity here, and then Piggy saying, "Oh, I just knew you were one of us skinny people," which I, what? It's so weird. Well, and this is I where I you feel were like, a good guy. What? Right, like, what? Some I feel like something is missing because we're we're about to in the next scene. Teresa Brewer like is really fucking with Kermit in the next scene, which is pretty delightful because he deserves it. And then at the end of the episode, like she kind of gets him, but we never actually really see that solidarity. And she's obviously like, you know, with the cake moment, she's, she's on Piggy's side, but Teresa and Piggy never actually have the conversation. And she, so she doesn't really know what's going on. And I was like, did a scene get cut? Because like, Teresa Brewer seems to understand that Kermit has been terrible. I guess she did just see Kermit call her fatso. It only it wouldn't have saved it, but I like I I want like something in there where Teresa Brewer was like, oh yeah, no, let's get him. Which I sort of feel like is the is is the through line, but like it it's missing a beat. I, I still think you might be looking for something that's not there. I think I she's just be. having a good time being on the Muppet Show. Have you guys done uh, covered the um, Cheryl Ladd episode yet? No, not, not yet. yet. So, so in that episode, there's there's a number which some of you may remember, where uh, Piggy and Cheryl Ads do like a like a karate fitness thing, and they end up uh, beating the crap out of Kermit. And I feel like that would have gone really well here. Number one, because like I, whenever I watch the Cheryl Ad episode, I always feel bad for Kermit because Piggy's just like, oh, I need a dummy to practice on, and then she just brings Kermit in, and then he is <laughs> you know takes the brunt of of this violence for no reason. But here he would have deserved it, and it would have made more sense to be like, "Hey Teresa, I really need to to like lose some weight. Oh, let's do a fitness regime. And, you know, forget the all the cake jokes, and then you know they can do a whole musical number and a song and dance. Like, I mean, it would have been it, again like the the content is still problematic, but it would have been a little bit more like getting Teresa into the plot." And to start having a little bit of justice against Kermit for the horrible things he's saying. It would have been a lot more satisfying, yeah, if the fitness class that Piggy takes is a martial arts class. She could have taught that um, class. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the thing, right? Like, not only is Piggy quite athletic and very skilled at martial arts, she's also spelt. Like, we've seen her in a bikini. She is not, I mean, even by, like, pig standards, she is not a fat pig. <laughs> Like, not that it matters. No, but like it just like the whole the the whole premise is just so stupid. Anyway, yeah, it's frustrating for a lot of reasons, and I think the foremost reason is that everybody is telling Piggy how much to weigh and what to eat. Right. Um, that's that's still more frustrating than how much she does or doesn't weigh. But yes, I, I see your point. <laughs> I would like to comment very briefly on the food that Teresa is actually eating for lunch. Like, forget. Forget the weight loss stuff, whatever. But like she has, she well, she has on her on the table. She has the giant cake. She has a plate of what looks like cupcakes, a plate that looks like other small cakes, 
And then you said it's a double decker sandwich. I don't think it is. I think it's just a stack of six slices of bread that she's eating. I don't think there's anything between that, that bread. I'm sure, it's not a layer and cake. That's, it might. Well, she picks it up like a sandwich. Okay. It's supposed yeah. to like with a fork. So I'm more. I'm not worried about like you know her healthy eating whatever like for her diet if that's what what it is but i do worry for like i don't know her cholesterol level like, <laughs> like is she okay Sugar high. yeah like is she stress eating for some reason i she's I, very I she's very perky up. it must be it, it it's either cocaine or sugar yeah <laughs> <laughs> why not both the the milkshake it's interesting because they don't do anything with the milkshake but um the the milkshake is definitely the the same What's it called? The silly suds, right? The foam. Oh, crazy foam. Crazy foam. The yeah, the it's the cake that Kermit gets shoved into, and the milkshake are the same thing. They're both that um, that kids um, bath soap foam that they use for for pies and things because um, mm-hmm. it's uh, safe for the Muppets. And it look, but the milkshake looks real weird in HD close up uh, because of it, which is fine. But I just noticed it because they don't actually do anything with the milkshake. Maybe they thought that they might. Or that it might get knocked over or something. It also has two straws. Like she's about to share a little intimate milkshake with Miss Piggy. You know what? Here for it. She deserves (laughs) it. It Sounds lovely. Uh, Let's uh, take a quick breather here to talk about the little dressing room moment that Teresa Brewer has with Kermit, um, which I don't think she's messing with him in anything that has to do with the main plot, but we can debate it. She's showing him her collection of Muppet autographs and she needs one more to complete the collection, the most important one. And then Kermit gets all humble and says, I don't know what to say, but it turns out that Teresa is looking for animals autograph. Also, she manages to summon crazy Harry and say, oh, this hole in the page is his autograph. And he's like, oh, you called and then leaves without exploding anything, which has that ever happened? No, but he looks really sad about it. And it's really cute. I think the reason that she doesn't ask for Kermit's autograph, I think she knows that this is, that's a thing that she want that he wants, but she was there when he called Miss Piggy fat stuff. So she's like, screw you, man. I don't need your autograph. I want animals. He didn't call anybody fat stuff. He's not problematic. Yeah. I mean, that was my take on it too. Like it, it could just be, it could just be the joke where he, you know, like it could just be a standalone joke where he's just like, Oh, I think you're, you know, I think you're talking about me and you're really talking about somebody else. It could just be that. Um, she's not a great actor. Like she's she's very charming, but she's not a great actor. So it's hard to quite read very much intention into anything that she's doing in any of her scenes. <laughs> but based on what happens at the very end, I, I do kind of feel like she's out. She's out to get him. But uh, there's not a lot there. As I said, I, I, feel I like, choose to read it that way. Yeah. Yeah. Same. Okay. Back to Miss Piggy. She comes into the prop room for a weigh in, um, which breaks the scale. Although at before she weighs herself, for better or for worse, her her optimism about the results of her 20 minutes of dieting is very endearing. Well, let's see. I hope I haven't lost too much weight. She sees a mirror. <gasps> oh, you are ravishing. <laughs> I love it. I love that for her. Forget the scale, lady. You're doing great. Right. Anyway, we see her working out. Um, oh, boy, do we. Yeah, she tunes into a TV show where Jerry Nelson, or this disembodied voice of Jerry Nelson, yells at people. And also, when she gets down on the floor to do leg lifts, you see her legs rise up, and she's wearing fishnets and silver sparkly heels. Love it. Which I love, I love it. that so she's much. She's dressed to work I out from it. the waist up and not from the waist down. It's perfect. Or she's dressed for a Beyonce workout. Yeah. 
Well, hi there, fatties, and welcome to the Chub Club, the only TV show where we lose viewers by the ton. <laughs> well, Chubby's ready to lose a little lard? Ready to lose a few tubes? Let's start with a little exercise, All shall right. we? Yeah. So this was back when it was socially acceptable to motivate people to exercise by insulting them. Wait, that's still a thing. <laughs> yeah, it's it's actually extra awful in audio. But I with Piggy's reaction shots, it feels it felt more to me like like satire. Uh, and and again, I don't think they're doing this particularly well. But I do think that's the goal. It's somewhere between satire and playing it for laughs and mining the trials and tribulations of dieters for laughs and fat jokes. Also, this is the first time we've seen Piggy with her hair pulled back like this in order to be in her workout gear. And I just think she looks ravishing. She looks amazing. And she's got the girls in the stockings. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is sort of where I think we're meant to be on Piggy's side rather than, than Kermit's, but this and the, and the mirror moment. I did enjoy this uh, from the perspective of someone who's been doing yoga on zoom for the last two years. (laughs) Because the one thing that I, I appreciate about uh, exercising uh, remotely is that when something is terrible, you can say it out loud. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I talk back to the trainers in Aptive all the time. <laughs> <laughs> They're not mean like that, but still. Yeah. <laughs> They're really yeah. annoying sometimes. Yeah, exactly. My, my yoga teacher is is not mean at all, but sometimes the uh, the poses are. <laughs> There is a whole uh, album from uh, probably about 10 years later called uh, Miss Piggy, uh, not 10 years later, but what, what, five, six years later called Miss Piggy's Aerobics um, when the Jane Fonda workout was was all the rage. Uh, and it is much funnier and a better parody than this. I have a copy. It was a, a gift from past guest of the show, Sarah, Sarah D. Bunting. I don't have a record player, but uh, I don't know why I didn't think to check before. Today, I discovered the whole thing is on YouTube. It's a whole album of um, songs to work out to by Miss Piggy, written by our favorite Joe Raposo. And we'll put a link in the show notes. It's pretty great. And it's way better than this episode. (laughs) So buried in all of this are some songs. (laughs) Ooh. Can you believe it? They're not great. (laughs) Some of them are okay. But not this one. <laughs> hey, hey, okay. Well, we, we're going to talk about it. Just, just roll the clip. When I was a little bit of baby, my mama would rock me in the cradle and bam, oh, 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 cotton fields back home. Oh, when the cotton balls get rotten, you don't pick a very much cotton in them. Before you ask, yes, Teresa Brewer is white. <laughs> so I, for some reason, I had it in my head that she was an opera singer, and then this song started. I was so confused. Yeah, no, de- definitely, definitely not an opera singer. Interestingly, a better yodeler than Julie Andrews. I would have liked to have seen her Lonely Goat Herd, was my first thought. So this is a song called Cottonfields that was written by the American blues legend Lead Belly, whose birth name was Hootie Ledbetter. And uh, it's from 1940, and it's been covered by many, many people. It was sort of brought into the popular consciousness by future Muppet Show guest star Harry Belafonte, 
in the late 50s. He did it in live shows for several years and it appeared on a couple of albums. And it was also covered by the Beach Boys and Creedence Clearwater Revival. (laughs) Sure. One of those makes sense. And and this is one that Teresa Brewer had also recorded prior to being on The Muppet Show. Yes, this is this is for sure. Um, it, it's also uh, been performed around the world, even in places where cotton fields aren't really a thing. I couldn't find a recording of it, but uh, the German skiffle band Die Wronners Zalvanst recorded it. <laughs> yeah, easy for me to say. And uh, there was also a, a minor hit version of it in Spanish by a band called Los Apson that I did find a clip of. Cuando apenas era un jovencito, mi mamá me decía, mira hijito, un amor pronto has de encontrar. Le pregunté cómo podría saber lo que la yeah, apparently th- these words do not correspond with the whole cotton no. field thing at all. Like they, they just. Uh, Tried to find words that sounded similar. So this one translates to when I was a young boy, which okay. is nice. But yeah, so we're, we're on a, a steamboat with a Dixieland band and uh, Fozzie. Just waving cheerfully. He's very happy to be he's, there. Yeah, he's, he's driving. So he's, not, he's not Dixielanding. And the Dixieland band, we should say, is Zoot and Janice and Trumpet Girl and Floyd. <laughs> yes. Fozzie's my favorite part of this whole thing. He like keeps his, pointing. His face. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's like, ah? Here's the weird thing about Fozzie in, in this bit is, so I, I was looking at it from like, how cool is this puppet? Because that's a real cool looking puppet. And like, he's got his left arm is a live hand. So like Frank Oz presumably could, you know, let go and like ring the bell and things like that. The right arm is attached to the wheel and you could see, like, when he's like moving the wheel, that like you could see Fozzie's full elbow. So, like, that's it's not like um, there's a, a sock there for someone to put their hand. So he's like half hand puppet, half not hand. And so, if he was going to turn, that hand has to be st- stuck to that wheel. So, like, his body is still kind of facing forward, and it's going to like tuck in a weird way around his waist when he tries to turn around far enough to to ring the bell. It's super weird, but it, when he's steering the the boat, uh, I think it looks cool that like you know Fozzie's like a real bear, like he's not a puppet. <laughs> I believe. <laughs> yeah, it's a weird set. I don't like this set. It's also strange that the orchestration. There's clearly one trumpet and a trombone, and yet we have two trumpets represented by the Muppets playing it, and Dolores is is bopping along to the trombone track, but like, you can't make those noises with the instrument in her hand. As a former trombone player, that bothered me. Hmm. <laughs> also, it's just adorable. Their little band outfits, Floyd playing the banjo and Janice is playing the trumpet. I love that Janice plays the trumpet. I mean, unless she's playing, playing the trombone. The, uh, clarinet, we should note. Yeah, it's very cute. And their outfits are really reminiscent of Floyd's regular, uh, like Sergeant Pepper-esque outfit, which I kind of like. Like the, everyone's cosplaying as Floyd for this one. It's very Disneyland Rivers of America. Fozzie's happiness to be there looks exactly like my face when I, I like happen to walk into New Orleans Square at Disneyland and one of those bands is out. I'm like, yay, Dixieland. And then I have that moment of like, is it racist to love Dixieland music? <laughs> Maybe a little. Especially when it's played by white people 
specifically because they know their record labels couldn't sell it if they had black people playing it. It's true. It's true. This song also just went on a little too long. For for a song that didn't have any shtick, it could have been half the length. Well, good news is our next number is full of shtick. I can remember when Cotton was king. You can remember when Arthur was king. And and just because it's the only time he's likable in the entire episode. Okay, you guys really bailed out that number. <laughs> oh, I get it, because like bales of cotton. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Oh, I thought it was because they like, were on wait, a boat. Right, that's yeah, what I thought. Like, them, get- when I, oh. yeah. uh, I was dead right. wrong. Now for something completely different. <laughs> Wild thing. I make your heart sing. So it's Animal doing Wild Thing, which was a number one hit for the English band The Trogs. It was written by an uh, American songwriter named Chip Taylor. And yeah, it was uh, number one on the Hot 100 in 1966. And Wild Thing uh, is another song that appears on that terrible Rolling Stone 500 Greatest Songs of All Time list. <laughs> it's number 257. Huh. I-, I can't believe this song was written by someone named Chip. <laughs> right? <laughs> this Apparently is- he also wrote Angel of the Morning. Like, I- that makes more sense. I thought I knew about Wild Thing is now just called into question. This is like for what it's worth in that it's like become such a signifier of the 60s, like when it, it just shows up in movies and TV shows. Yeah, that makes sense. It's true. Right. I love that the pronouns are changed here, but the end is still not, it's not Wild Thing. Like the the normal lyric is Wild Thing, I think I love you. But now it's Wild Thing, I think I love me. It's so good. <laughs> like that, not Wild Thing, I think you love me. Which would be how it <laughs> how it should go based on how they've changed it. It's so this good. It's an anthem of self love, which uh, this episode is in sore need of. And, and yet, even as altered as the lyrics are, it's still like the most coherent we've ever heard. Animal. Yeah, he says so many of the words. <laughs> I was surprised. Yeah, not all of them, but a fair few. He forms sentences. Yeah. The song also appeared later on the Kermit Unpigged album with Animal Kermit and Floyd. You make my heart sing. Uh, hey, Kermit, what are you doing? Oh, hi, Floyd. I'm just playing an unplugged version of Wild Thing on this ukulele here. Oh, yeah. Well, you see, uh, Animal wanted to play the drums on this. Okay. Lock in! Sure. Yikes! Yeah! Oh, oh. Yeah, whenever I heard that version on, on Kermit Unpigged, I was always so disappointed that we just didn't get the, a full version of Kermit singing it on the ukulele because it sounded so good. Uh, what? <laughs> I love it. It's, I mean, it's a little twee, but I love it. It's cute. Cute. Cute idea. It is very cute, but. You don't like it? Oh, man. I, uh, I like how they take over from him, but the ukulele keeps going. It's yeah. still in that arrangement. It's really weird to hear that version of Kermit this week of all weeks. Not just because it's a different 
performer, but like because like he's just like that weird meek version of Kermit in this week when he's being such a dick. It's a very different Kermit in many ways. I was pleasantly surprised that Animal sang Wild Thing in this episode because I am so used to the the recording from Kermit Unpigged. So I also was expecting him to just scream and not articulate any words. Do do we need to hear the end of that Kermit Unpigged? I think, track? I think I think we, we might because I I have labeled this clip Animal and Floyd fuck. I'm listening. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh, so tired. <laughs> oh, no. You've ruined everything. <laughs> oh, my work here is done. <laughs> I'm going to back away really slowly from that. But can I can I just say, I mean, to get off of that topic very quickly, uh, am I the only one who really didn't like this this song? Like this version of Wild Thing from the episode. I mean, forget Kermit Unplugged. Oh, I was delighted. Oh, no, I loved it. <laughs> I mean, it's not a great rendition of Wild Thing, but it's a great animal sketch. I mean, I already don't love the song Wild Thing, but right. beyond that, like, I, I'm, I'm not a fan of how often throughout Muppet history we just see, like, here's Animal in front of a drum set, and like, there's nothing else to it. And like, we're supposed to think, like, okay, the joke is that Animal you know, growls and speaks in improper English. And like, uh, it's like this, whenever there's like a drum battle with a celebrity, like that sort of thing. And I don't think that the joke of like the, uh, the vets hospital characters coming in and and, like taking away was funny enough to justify the existence of the song. It was just kind of nothing to me. They could have used more ukulele. You are entitled to that opinion. And also, even though animal is a, a one note character, I don't think I will ever not be delighted by that note. Well, I wonder where they took him. Well, wherever it is, I'll bet it's more fun than here. <laughs> so this week's UK spot makes me really hungry. <laughs> oh, my girl, she's crazy over cheesecake all the time. So I bring her cheesecake and she treats me mighty fine. My double double cheesecake, munching on a cheesecake, munching on a cheesecake. Yeah, this is Dr. Teeth and a cheesecake. A <laughs> <laughs> song called Cheesecake. <laughs> and Cheesecake loves eating cheesecake. Yeah, so Cheesecake uh, is a Louis Armstrong song. It was written by Louis Armstrong and Irving Fields. We've talked about Louis Armstrong on the podcast before. I don't think we've talked about Irving Fields. Irving Fields, an interesting guy. He lived to be 101. He was a pianist, a lounge music artist. And uh, among his album titles, this delighted me, were Bagels and Bongos, More Bagels and Bongos, Pizzas and Bongos, Champagne and Bongos, and Bikinis and Bongos. Wow. <laughs> Bagels and Bongos is a great album. It got reissued on CD about 15 years ago, and I get to interview Irving Fields in connection with the CD release. We'll put the link to that interview in the show notes. He was also delightful, um, and he had a weekly gig at an Italian restaurant on the east side, like 
right up until I think he died, like all, all the way through his 90s. I love that. That's amazing. I couldn't find a whole lot about the song. I, I had to even get into the ASCAP database to find out who wrote it. But on uh, the website genius.com, I found uh, an annotation that made me laugh uh, because somebody wrote, Cheesecake is a song that reflects Louis Armstrong's concern of health and weight balanced by his own intense love and desire for food. I'm like, you got that from cheesecake, munching on cheesecake, munching on a cheesecake, cheesecake, gobble, gobble, cheesecake, gobble, gobble, cheesecake. Okay. Yeah, this is delightful up until the point that Piggy chases the cheesecake off stage, at which point it's just like. Yeah, I didn't even notice it the first watch because there was so much else going on and the cheesecake was like, I'm getting out of here. And there were monsters everywhere. And for a split I mean, second, Piggy shows up. I mean, yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. I didn't realize until the second watch that. Piggy shows up to chase the cheesecake off screen. No, that's the part I meant was relatable. Yeah, I, mean, I would chase a cheesecake off screen. Too. I would chase down a cheesecake. Let's go to the hop. Let's go to the hop. Well, you can rock it, you can roll it, you can stomp and even stroll it at the hop. Hop, 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 hop. When the record starts to spin, a calypso when you're chicken at the hop. Hop, 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 hop. So do the dance sensation and it's sweeping the nation at the hop. Hop, 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 hop. Well, let's go to the hop. I love that that Scooter got his comeuppance for the fat shaming (laughs) in this moment a little bit. Um, Yeah, so it's Scooter and a bunch of frogs doing At the Hop, uh, which was a huge, huge hit for a band called Danny and the Juniors in 1958. It was uh, a number one hit. It was one of the top selling singles in 1958. It was written by Artie Singer, John Medora, and David White. And weirdly, not only was it a number one on the Hot 100, it also hit number one on the R&B bestsellers list and number three on a chart called Music Vendor Country Chart. Sure. You know, Is that music country like country. country music or country like across the USA? I, I think it's like country music. Huh. So it must have gotten some country play. Um yeah, and uh, the song was one of those songs that we, we've talked a little bit about how there was a 50s renaissance in the early mid-70s because of the movie American Graffiti. Uh, this was definitely one of the songs that benefited from that. I also learned that originally the song was called Do the Bop, but Dick Clark heard it and was like, the bop is a, a current craze. By the time this comes out, it, it probably won't be popular anymore, so you should change it to something else. So they changed it to At The Hop. So for this number, Scooter is doing the twist while he sings The Hop. (laughs) And it's a really, it's sort of an amazing feat of puppetry because they have his his arms sort of sculpted into the position of the twist. And his body is twisting while he's, you know, singing. And I just don't know how you do that. Like, I guess there's probably, like, if, if your right hand is doing the head then maybe like your left hand is is like physically twisting the body just out of frame so that it twists because i can't imagine that you can like just with your right arm produce that motion while keeping the head focused correctly the way it is i don't know i was really impressed yeah i i thought about this as well like i was trying to figure out how his arm works and like to be fair, I am not a puppeteer. Sometimes I see puppets doing things that I'm like, I don't know how your arm moved to make that happen. But like, you know, that's why you're getting paid the big bucks. 
have we mentioned that uh, the backup chorus here are all of the non-Kermit, non-Robin frogs that we've seen as the chorus who have popped up occasionally ever since the Valentine's special? And yeah. hence the hopping. So we have two more songs, both Teresa Brewer numbers. The first one happens on a swing. It's the old girl swing monster bit again. They tried to sneak it past us. Mm, shoddy. Shoddy. <laughs> It's uh, Spinning Wheel by Blood, Sweat, and Tears, uh, which was a big hit in 1969. It peaked at number two. Uh, it was number two for two weeks. It was kept out of the top spot uh, one week by the love theme from Ro- Romeo and Juliet by Henry Mancini. And the other week by a truly terrible song called In the Year 2525 <gasps> by Zegger. How dare you? Oh, I hate that song so much. No. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... I I am both delighted by it and also think it's a terrible song. So like, you know, I, yeah. It's weird that it went to number one. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. uh, Spinning Wheel, huge, huge hit. Nominated for a bunch of Grammys. It uh, won in Best Instrumental Arrangement. And uh, it was on the album that won the Grammy for Album of the Year that year. And my favorite fun fact about Spinning Wheel is that it was the subject of, so it was written by, uh, David Clayton Thomas, who was the lead singer of Blood, Sweat, and Tears. And he sued the band Millie Vanilli, <laughs> band. Band, word in air quotes, <laughs> for a copyright infringement because of their song All or Nothing, which sounds very similar. When you sue Millie Vanilli, who shows up in court? You know, here, here's the thing. Whenever anyone asks how old I am, I, I tell them, you know, I learned the truth about Santa Claus and Millie Vanilli the same year, and Millie Vanilli hit me harder. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think David Clayton Thomas has more of a case than the Speedy Gonzalez people had against Elton John. But again, it was it was a moot point because I, I don't want to go, go down a million bit. Well, I mean, somebody hole, still wrote the song, even though. Yeah, somebody did yeah. write the song. The The Millie Vanilli album is the best selling album of all time to be pulled out of print. Huh. Because there was a lawsuit involving the fraud, basically, that people were like, you know. We we thought that these people were singing, and it's not these people, and uh, and it was ruled that they could get a refund. Wow! So Arista Records took it uh, out of print. Wow, that that's reason. ridiculous. So yeah, this is uh, Teresa Brewer on a swing being pushed by Sweetums. Well, so the joke is like he pushes her, and then she doesn't come down, or then she comes down behind him and kicks him in the butt, or etc. It happens if the swing comes times. back without her, she flies off. Yeah. They do right. it three times. Rule of yeah. threes. That's a bit. What I liked about this is that it's on this like really sort of gorgeous outdoor set with a lot of trees and, and bushes, and it just felt very spendy. I like to see the Muppets showing their cash. Wish they'd spent a little more on the steamboat. It sort of feels like a Wayne and Wanda bit 
yeah extrapolated into rule of three yeah the thing i find weird about it and i don't mind is that we don't ever get the whole song and it's especially strange because that the third one is a new arrangement uh the one that we heard the the first right the first two are are more sort of lilty pastoral to match the set and then the third one like you expect because like she wins right like sweetums keeps knocking her off the swing or whatever and then the third one she gets sweetums and and i at least expected the whole song to happen and it never did which is okay i think but it it just was an unusual not meeting expectations yeah we got a lot of that in this episode because we also didn't get the full song of at the hop or a wild thing it's okay we got like eight hours of cotton picking whatever the <laughs> that is so our, our last number is an actual Teresa brewer song that i just it's a banger it's a banger <laughs> So this is, depending on who you ask, either music, 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 or put another nickel in, which was a number one hit for Teresa Brewer in 1950. And she almost didn't record it. She wasn't the first person to record it. It was written by Stephen Weiss and Bernie Baum, originally recorded by A.T.N. Perry with Eddie Piano Miller. Sure. And interestingly, the reason Teresa Brewer recorded it is because it was suggested to her by then radio host Gene Rayburn, later the host of Match Game. <laughs> Love a Gene Rayburn connection. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he was apparently a big booster of her career. And once she did record it, played the heck out of it. And it was a big hit. And also, this song is built around a misuse of the word Nickelodeon. Nickelodeons were actually sort of the earliest movie theaters. Their heyday was like 1905 to 1915. And this use of it is more kind of like, you know, player piano or jukebox. And that's even how they stage it here. Because Animal and Floyd are putting nickels into a jukebox upon which a very tiny Teresa Brewer performs. (laughs) The... Other fun thing that I discovered is that when the channel Nickelodeon debuted in, I think it was 1979, for a couple of years, their sort of like bumper idents were clips of a mime to this tune. And we'll put those in the show notes. They're on YouTube. Two things that kids love, mimes and this song. We have previously mentioned this song on the podcast because it so closely resembles down at Papa Joe's, which you may remember as the chicken play the piano song with almost the same melody and rhythm and chord structure. I would love to hear a mashup. I noticed at one point, if you watch the couple dancing on the upper right, you can see whoever is puppeteering them. You can see their head pop into frame a few times. And I forgot to mention this, but at the end of Wild Thing, you can see Frank Oz's head as animals being toted off. So if you're the kind of guy who really likes seeing puppeteer heads, Boy, is this an episode for you. Never mind that jazz. Listen, turkey. What? And get out of show business? Oh, boy, you guys. Let's wrap this up with some show business. Okay, so on Pigs in Space, starring the indomitable Captain Link Hogthrob, the flappable first mate Miss Piggy, and the inexplicable Dr. Strangepork. That's a rerun, right? That intro? It is. 
Yeah. That exact combination. I it's, think so. I've oh, maybe not heard. that exact combination. Inexplicable is definitely a rerun. Yeah. I don't know about still can't explain all three it. of those. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. I can't explain what's about to happen. But uh, the swine track has run out of oxygen, fuel, and water, and worst of all, swill. An argument breaks out over whether Miss Piggy should cook for the 25 pig crew and also whether Scooter is an alien invader. Oh, Swill? Oh, not Swill! Oh. <laughs> Wait a minute! I thought this was a serious science fiction story! Yes, but we've got 25 adult pigs on this spaceship. We can't survive without Swill. What do you suggest, Captain? Miss Piggy, go cook us some Swill. That does it. I refuse to continue this sketch. You hear me? Sketch? What sketch? This is the swine truck. We're lost in endless space. This is a cheap shot comedy sketch, and I lay your odds the frog wrote it. I feel so vindicated after the other week. <laughs> Link is either a deeply committed method actor, and yes, Isaac Butler, if you're listening, I know this is not actually method acting. Everybody buy Isaac's book. Uh, or a complete lunatic. Or Keno Lostos? Right. I mean, there's a philosophical disagreement <laughs> about where they are. I'm interested in the fact that Link says the swine truck is lost in endless space, which makes me think that the plot of Pigs in Space, the overall plot of Pigs in Space, is less Star Trek the original series and more Star Trek Voyager. Or Lost in Space. Or a little bit of Lost in Space. I don't know. It's bleak. It is bleak. They might never make it home. Yeah, when they run out of food, they're really out of food. <laughs> they're never refueling. So Link also ordered Miss Piggy to make Swill Stroganoff, which, first of all, like after everything that Piggy's been going through in this episode with all the fat jokes, like she's also being ordered into the kitchen. Uh, well, I don't know. We don't need to get into that, but like it's painful. But this is the f- at least the first of two uh, Swill Stroganoff references because they also talk about Swill Stroganoff in the. Pigs in Space sketch in the Gene Kelly episode in the fifth season when they're waiting to see the end of the universe to get the meaning and purpose of life. But Swill Stroganoff is being served and they all get hungry and leave before they see anything. Huh. I, I actually had to look this up because uh, I, I am a city boy and I like I know the metaphorical meaning of Swill and the literal meaning of Swill is kitchen refuse and scraps of waste food mixed with water for feeding to pigs. So, you know, I mean, I, I got it from context, but the literal meaning makes Swill Stroganoff sound even more disgusting. Yeah. So Miss Piggy claims, well, she refuses on principle first to cook, but then she also says, besides, I'm a gourmet cook, which leads to the Swill Stroganoff. So I understand, given how highly Miss Piggy thinks of herself, that she would claim to be a gourmet cook. But also, just in the context of everything she's going through in this episode, I'm just so full of rage about expectations placed on women in this context and in other contexts where she's expected to be professional, but also to cook for everybody and to be thin and to be a homemaker and to be an expert chef or a swine trek maker. I don't know. Also in the context <laughs> of everything we know about Miss Piggy, she absolutely does not know how to cook gourmet or otherwise. Right. I feel like we've seen Miss Piggy's recipe <laughs> yeah, books. She and- knows how to order. <laughs> well, she knows how to fake it. Like, like the way that she knows how to speak French, you know? <laughs> it's like, oh yeah. yeah, I know like three words. I know how to say stroganoff. Obviously, I'm a gourmet cook. Yeah, and how to do an exercise video. Hashtag relatable content. <laughs> <laughs> I do like when she when she breaks the fourth wall and breaks character. Um, that you know she, her her rage at Kermit 
her justified rage at Kermit spills over into the sketch from the, I mean, or, or, or it's just a beat that is being played because Piggy is mad at Kermit all the time and I'm overthinking it. But, you know, if, if she's still mad at him from the backstage plot, um, she deserves to be, and <laughs> she is right to be. And now she's mad at him for writing this terrible sketch for her, which fair. I love how at the end of the sketch, Link and Dr. Strangepork are ganging up on Scooter and saying he's an alien invader and we're all doomed. And Miss Piggy just looks directly into the camera and does this tiny little nod of her head towards the three of them. Just to, like, look at these clowns. Yeah. I Can you believe this? Definitely made a gif of that. <laughs> and it's just like, great, Strangepork and, and Link are are believe it is real. And Scooter and Piggy are like, we're on a show. <laughs> like, it's so weird. This is television. <laughs> Yeah, well, they'll agree to disagree, I guess. So we have a gonzo bit in a, quote, feat of death-defying intellectualism never seen before. Also, gonzo is uh, in a rather revealing muscle shirt, in addition to a feat of death-defying <laughs> intellectualism. Uh, gonzo prepares to recite the Merchant of Venice while suspended by his nose from a feather boa nine feet in the air, uh, which goes well for a few seconds. In sooth! I know not why I am so sad. It wearies me. You say, sir. Ah, I like it. In and out. I was impressed that it was not the big famous speech from the Merchant of Venice, but rather a less famous speech. Like he didn't do, you know, if you prick me, he did right. Act one, scene one. I like how the audience boos him. They're not concerned for his safety. They're just upset that the act was bad. They just wanted to see the Merchant of Venice. Yeah. <laughs> They've been denied. They, not only do they boo him, but they do. This is one of my favorite things about early Gonzo sketches is when Kermit announces the act and then we see Gonzo, you hear like one person like slowly yeah. clapping. <laughs> like, it's, like nobody wants this. <laughs> so we have an at the dance sketch. Now with more dieting jokes, given how angry I am at this episode, I was surprised that I actually laughed at a couple of them, and this is one. I lost 180 pounds of ugly fat in just one week. Oh, how'd you do that? I divorced my husband. <laughs> it's a classic. Yeah. yeah. I love that hoity-toity voice, that, that Jerry Nelson female voice. Yeah. I divorced my husband. <laughs> Pretty good. <laughs> Takes balls to do that around their entirely English crew. True. That was like Jerry Nelson's thing, though, like when he did a Canadian gobo in front of the entirely Canadian Fraggle Rock crew. Right, right. Yeah, he didn't care. So the sketch ends with a dancer being so heavy that she falls through the floor, and then all of the other Muppets in the sketch follow and fall through the floor, which is, uh, the joke itself is not funny, but Muppets falling down is comedy gold. And it's a it's a cheap gag too. Like they don't actually have to show the floor. They could just drop the characters on the screen. I love that. Yeah, it's great. What a great thing. Finally, in Muppet Labs, Dr. Bunsen Honeydew is wondering, does your nose ever get cold? And I'll tell you, Bunsen, mine does. <laughs> it runs in my family. Um, and wouldn't it be nice to warm your nose electronically? Only to turn on the electricity. <laughs> And there's Beaker with a nice, toasty, warm nose. You really should stop smoking, Beaker. It's very bad for your health. We had to get in one last bit of Muppets lecturing each other about 
choices they make with their bodies. I do like how Beaker understands how electricity works and grabs Bunsen. <laughs> so yeah. that he too I mean, will be electrocuted. Yeah, but like it's I feel it's, it's rare for Beaker to get even a little bit even, and it's nice to see. That's true. I, I think it's interesting how this design of the Beaker puppet, uh, his mouth does not open. I presume because they're blasting some kind of smoke through the the puppet and he can't it can't be like a working mouth for whatever reason and that just makes me wonder like how many beaker puppets they had for for different stunts because you have like your regular beaker the beaker that with no mouth the beaker with uh where the eyes can light up the beaker with the nose can fall off the beaker that's armatured so it can get flying through the air without a hand in it or whatever it is and then like something like this, we're like, I don't know if I've ever seen that beaker again with where the mouth is permanently closed. Did they just use it in this one sketch and that was it? I don't know. I've never thought about that. No, me neither. <laughs> I've watched Beaker do a lot of well reaching through his own head and deflating and stuff. I also wonder how often it's a different puppet versus just like little alterations made to the same puppet. Right. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Like it could just be like a piece of tape and you now have a beaker with a mouth that doesn't open. Well, they did it again. Yeah, whatever it was. (laughs) Well, it has been a very long episode, both theirs and ours, but we have reached the end. Does anyone have final thoughts? I really want some cheesecake. Yeah, I'm definitely getting a snack. Joe, before we go, here's the opportunity for you to tell our listeners one more time where they can find you, what you're doing. Yeah, you could find me and everything that I'm doing on toughpigs.com. Uh, you can find Tough Pigs on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, et cetera, et cetera, at Tough Pigs. Uh, we have a Patreon. We have a T Public page for uh, for selling merchandise. We got all kinds of stuff. And uh, if you like Muppets, if you like the kind of stuff that these fine folks are talking about on this podcast, we have so much of it uh, ourselves as well. So uh, I hope you give it a look and, you know, uh, join us for for our own brand of very nerdy Muppet fun. And we all very much endorse everything that they do. And we'll have links to all these things in the show notes so you don't have to go search for it. Oh, thank you. Appreciate that. And thanks for being here with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was a blast. I'm exhausted after talking about this episode for like two and a half hours, but it was <laughs> worth it. And now, and now we never have to watch it again. What a gift. Yeah. Indeed. Thanks for listening to this episode of Muppeturgy. We'll be back next week to talk about the John Cleese episode. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Muppeturgy or on the web at Muppeturgy.com. If you like what we're doing, please spread the word and offer a rating or a review wherever you get your podcasts. Our theme music was composed and performed by Christy Bauer. Our show logo was created by Todd Brian Backus. And this episode was edited by me, David Lennon. Do I get a clip? No, we just discussed this. Uh, well, they have like eight <laughs> times in the in the outline clip, clip, clip. So I'm just every time I come up to one, I'm asking again. All just, right, <laughs> just give him the evil eye, David. Mm, I'm doing it right through my microphone.